This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So by taking a simple command from God to not do any work on the Sabbath, they have burdened the people They burdened them up with a load of rules that tell the people how they must keep that command. The command gets lost and all the rules take its place. That's how they did it. So by imposing all those rules on the people, the scribes and Pharisees have become rulers with greater power over the people. Similar to the rules imposed with all these kind of rules during a pandemic. Rules about wearing masks, about where people can go and not go, how many people can be in a building, if you can sing, if you can hum, if you can chant, if you can mourn, if you can moan, you can groan, you can complain. All these rules that have been put on that make the rulers more powerful over the people. And if the pandemic ends, then the rulers have less people. That's not a good thing. And so fortunately, the word of God says that they not do any work, so that never ends. So they say, oh, the rules just continue. So by applying all these rules of what can and can't be done on the Sabbath, the rulers gain more power over the people. And now the Pharisees have used their traditions to denounce the Lord Jesus by denouncing him for allowing his disciples to violate the Torah, the law. So the traditions did allow the people to eat on the Sabbath, and they still do. But what was not allowed, the Pharisees we're referring to as as unlawful, was taking the stalks and rubbing them to get the, the grain out. Okay? I suppose. Anyway, so that's the issue here at hand in verse 2. Now, in verse 3, it's wonderful. The first words of verse 3 before the comma is are wonderful when it says, but he said unto them. So the Lord was not accused of violating the law. Evidently, he was not taking these stalks and rubbing them in his hands. It was his disciples doing that. So the Lord himself was not violating the so-called law. And they didn't say to the Lord, why are you doing 
that which is not lawful on the Sabbath day. Now, the Lord could have said, but he never would have said, and he didn't say that, and that's what's so wonderful. He didn't say something like, well, it's not me, it's them. You got a problem with them? Go talk to them. Of course, he would never do that because he would never throw his disciples under the bus. But what's wonderful is to see how the Lord rushes in now to defend his disciples, kind of like that hymn that says, he saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. So he saw the disciples being attacked indirectly and he flew to their relief. As a matter of fact, the disciples were the ones who were violating their traditions. And as a matter of fact, the disciples did not say a word during this thing. In a sense, all the disciples had to really do was to stand down and let the Lord stand up for them. And this is what makes verse three so wonderful because in verse three, we see the Lord fighting for his disciples when he steps in, but he said unto them. Very much a picture of the Lord's description in Exodus 14, 14. Exodus 14, 14, which says, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, what would it have been like, just imagine, it didn't happen, but just imagine what it would have been like if one of the disciples stepped forward and just said, who are you accusing of doing that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? I mean, what would it have been like if one of the disciples said, you looking for a fight? You found a fight. You know, I'll take you on, Pharisees, let's go for it. So if that would have happened, can't you picture the Lord saying to that disciple, look, one of us is gonna take on the Pharisees and it's either gonna be you or me. So if you decide, because if you decide you're gonna take on the Pharisees, then I'll stand down and watch you. But I'm standing here now between you and the Pharisees to take them on. So if you stand down, then I'll stand in. Now, isn't that the way it is in our lives? Isn't that the way it is in our lives? Satan is the representatives. They come and they defy us, they accuse us, they wanna to rise up for the fight and we have a choice. Either we're gonna rise up for the fight or we're gonna stand down and let the Lord stand in between us and the enemy and let the Lord be the, Exodus 14, 14, Lord who fights for you and we should hold our peace. But what we see the disciples doing in verse three is an example of what we should do in life, which is to pray and to ask the Lord to fight for us while we hold our peace. You know, that's an interesting phrase, hold our peace. I don't know if it gives you the kind of scene that it does to me, because sometimes, sometimes I feel like my peace is like a bird that wants to fly away, you know? And I gotta grab it by the tail, you know? <laughs> my, my, my peace wants to fly away and I wanna set the record straight. And I gotta grab that bird of peace and by the tail and pull him back, hold on to your peace, hold your peace. Uh, that's crazy, maybe you don't think that way, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so now we see the Lord fighting for his disciples. We see the Lord in this Exodus 14, 14 posture. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Exodus 15, 3. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So in verse three, the Lord is coming out like a man of war. And we see that the Lord, he's not defensive here. He's not defensive, he's saying, well, my disciples aren't doing anything wrong. They're just hungry. Look at them, give them a break, have a little pity on them. They're not doing anything more than anyone else would do just to eat and eating is allowed on the Sabbath. Now, if the Lord had said that, it'd be uh, pretty much on the defensive. But what we see the Lord doing here in verse three is he's not on the defensive, he's on the offensive. And he's not taking the tact of being defensive like, they're not doing anything wrong, give them a break. 
Instead, the Lord is taking the spotlight off of what the disciples are doing, and he's putting the spotlight on the Pharisees and how they're not understanding the scriptures. You know what the problem is? You don't understand the scriptures is what he's saying. So he's on the attack when he says something like, have you not read what David did in verse three? Of course they read what David did when David ate the showbread. They knew that. So when the Lord said, have you not read, he was really challenging them with the question of, have you not understood what you read when you read what David was doing when he ate the showbread? So what's happening here is the Lord is asking the Pharisees to, how do you fundamentally handle the scriptures? How do you read the scriptures? How do you understand the scriptures? That's what's behind what he's saying, have you not read? He's not asking like, don't you remember in Sunday school class when you read that story? He's not asking that, you know, they know that. But he's really getting at something much, much deeper. Okay, now what happened when David ate the showbread? Well, the history is given to us in 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, one through six, where it explains that uh, David's fleeing from, um, Saul, and he comes to this city called Nob, and the priest is there, Nob is where the tabernacle was, and the priest is there named Ahimelech, and David tells Ahimelech that the king commanded him to go on a business, and uh, a secret, secret business, and David is saying, look, you know, we're famished, my men are famished, I'm famished, uh, what do you have to eat? And the priest says, well, you know, all we have here is these five loaves of bread. And the priest says, I'd give you some other bread, but that's all we've got. And so David wants that. And so the priest said, well, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women, I don't know why he said that, but that's what he said. The priest said that, then uh, you can have it. And so David says, uh, you know, the truth, the young men have, uh, have kept themselves for three days away from the women. And um, so the, the priest gives him the bread. David didn't take it. The priest gives him the bread, and that's what happened. Now, we read that, and we say, okay, so we read it, or we know it, and the Pharisees knew it. So now the question is, what does it mean, that history? What does it mean? And that's what he's getting at when he says, have you not read? And we have examples of what it means, different meanings, for example, of scripture. For example, the explanation for what David did was not given in this passage. The description of what he did is given, but the explanation of what it means was not given in the passage. It was intended to be drawn from it. And the scriptures is meant not just to be read, but to be thought through and to be extrapolated from, and questions to be asked about it. That's what it means to read the scriptures, as he put it, or to know the scriptures. For example, there were the Sadducees. There were the Sadducees who did not believe that there was life after death. And so they came to the Lord with their unbelief in life after death, and the Lord challenged them by telling them that they were going astray that they were in great error, and he said, the reason is, is because you do not know the scriptures. That's the way he put it. You do not know the scriptures. And so again, this raises the question of what does it mean to know the scriptures? And we can see what it means to know the scriptures in that example in Matthew 22, 29, Matthew 22, 29, where it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, 
you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, he explains, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels of God. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And in Mark 20, Mark 12, 27, Mark 12, 27, it's, also, it's going along the same lines. It says, he is not the God of the dead, but a God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. Now, what God told Moses from the burning bush in Exodus 3 was that he did say that. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did not say, therefore, Moses, I am the God of the living and not the dead. He didn't say that. He just said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord said later, he is therefore the God of the living and not the dead. But that was not said in Exodus 3. Now, if the Sadducees just read the scriptures on the surface, they would say, well, I just read that God told Moses over a thousand years ago that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you and I just simply read on the surface the scriptures today, same thing, Exodus 3, we'd say, I just read that God told Moses 3,000 years ago that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But to know the scriptures is for the Sadducee to say, I read that scripture that God said to Moses over 1,000 years ago for me that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But to know the scriptures is for the Sadducee to say, I heard God speak to me right now that there is life after death. Why? Because God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as in when they were alive, which for Moses was 400 years, at least 400 plus years earlier, but that he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and again, for Moses, since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died over 400 years earlier, that must mean, if God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that must mean they're alive today, after death. Now, that lesson that he was giving to them, the Sadducees, it holds true for us today. If we're gonna know the scriptures, then we must hear God speaking to us through the Bible as it is written to us and that's what makes it so dramatic about what the Lord said to the Sadducees in Matthew 22:31. In Matthew 22:31 when he said, "Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God?" Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees could have said, "What do you mean unto me? It was spoken to Moses over a thousand years ago," the Sadducees could have said. It was spoken to Moses, but the Lord Jesus says, "No, it was spoken to you. It was spoken to Moses, yes, but it was also spoken to you a thousand years later. And we have to see the scriptures as that which is spoken to us by God. And since God did not say to Moses, hey Moses, did you catch that? That I just said to you, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Did you get it, Moses? Did you catch that I didn't say I was the God of Abraham? That means that God expected Moses to think through what God said, to come to the conclusion, oh, they must be alive, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he just said, I am their God. And that means that 
that God expects us to think through the scriptures to come to conclusions that are not immediately obvious. And this can also be seen, this drawing conclusions or extrapolating from the scriptures. This can be seen in an example of Paul when Paul was making the point to believers that they ought to give of their resources, money, food, whatever, to ministers of the gospel. They need to do that. They needed to support the ministers of the gospel. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, 1 Corinthians 9, 9, when he said, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, grain. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. And he that ploweth should plow in hope. He that thresheth in hope should be partaker of the hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing? If we shall reap your carnal things? So Paul has drawn a conclusion from a very simple law of Deuteronomy 25.4. Deuteronomy 25.4 that says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the, it's grain. All right, so that's simple enough. That's simple enough, a simple enough command from God in Deuteronomy, and it just means that when you use an ox to harvest the grain, don't put a muzzle on the ox, but let the poor animal eat already. That's what it means. Let him eat if he wants to, when he's going out there and, and being used to harvest the grain, let him put his head down and eat the grain also as is going on. Now, would you have understood that that means that when someone is ministering to you spiritually, like a pastor or a teacher, that you should give financially to that person, that you could give food to that person because that person's like an ox, <laughs> you know, <laughs> harvesting the grain, and you should let him feed? Would you have gotten that? Honestly speaking, would you have understood that the application from that ox example applied to ministers of the gospel? The only way for you and I to have understood that was to give it some thought and to ask the question, now why would God not want the ox to be muzzled when he is used to harvest the grain? And this is what it means to know the scriptures. It's to ask the question, why? Why? God wants us to ask the question, why? When you're immersed in a world of traditionalism, you do not ask the question, why? That is a no-no. And how do we keep our balance up there? That I can answer in one question, tradition. <laughs> okay, so I remember one time when I was at my friend's house, some Orthodox Jewish people for a Sabbath meal. And I've, you know, I, I wasn't raised in that level of tradition. And so I was just, you know, I mean, what am I? I'm, I'm a guest, I'm, I'm Tommy, you know, so. I'm there at the dinner. And so then, you know, they come and they say, okay, now we're gonna take the copper pot, we're gonna pour it over this hand and over that hand, and we all line up and sink and do that. And, you know, and I said, why do you do that? Why, why do you pour with the copper coat thing? They glared at me. And then, I, then we go to the table and they take some salt and they throw it, they throw the salt, you know. I said, why do you do that? Why do you do that? More irritation, more irritating questions. I think, I, I don't know, I think I asked another one. Finally, and I, of course, you know, me, I'm not gonna give up. I don't know, why? I don't understand why you do it. Why did you do that? What's the reason for that? How come you threw it this way? All these questions, you know. And so finally, my friend David, he looks at me and he says, you don't ask why, you just do it. 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. So when you're involved in a world of tradition, you don't ask why. You just do it. That's tradition. But God says if you want to know the scripture, you ask why. You ask why because only by asking why will you be able to know the scripture to a point where you can draw conclusions out as Paul did with his muzzling of the ox uh, and so forth. So that's what it means to know the scripture. So when he says, when the Lord Jesus says in verse three, have ye not read, he is really meaning, have you not thought about? Have you not asked questions about? Have you not drawn conclusions from? That's what he means. And he gives these, and now he goes on, as we said, and he gives these two examples of how the law was broken, quote unquote, by people who were not blame, not guilty. They were blameless. David, in the passages met in 1 Samuel 21, one through six, he broke the law, as we mentioned. And, uh, and by the way, the decision to get the bread was not David's, it was the priest that gave it to him after he made that criteria. And then the second example the Lord gives of breaking the law, or a person's blameless, is in verse five, verse five, have you not read in the law? Again, when he asked that question, have you not read, think, have you not thought through? Have you not probed? Have you not asked questions about? When it says, have you not read? So, or have you not read in the law, verse five, how that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Now, what is that about? That goes back to Exodus 35.3, which says, you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath days. That's a no fire law on the Sabbath day. Uh, anyway, I don't wanna talk about tradition. It's so, okay, so, uh, which is why the Orthodox have these big stones that they heat up on Friday that stay hot on through Saturday so that they can heat their food without making a fire. And that's a lot of laws, you know. And I don't wanna go in that direction. So, so here the law is quite clear that there were to be no fires made on the Sabbath day. And as a matter of fact, God was quite serious about that because in Numbers 15.33, Numbers 15.33, it says that the, there was this man gathering sticks to make a fire on the Sabbath, and they brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation, they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp, and all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is a very serious law. Don't make fire on the Sabbath day. God's very serious about that, but there's another part in the law. In Numbers uh, 28.9, Numbers 28.9 says, and on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot and two-tenths deal of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burnt offering as drink offering. So the priests were to make a burnt offering of the Sabbath. They were to make a burnt offering of the Sabbath. Well, you can't have a burnt offering unless you have fire. It's pretty hard to do. So technically, and there was nothing in the law that said, you make no fire, no kindle, no fire on the Sabbath day, except for the burnt offering. It doesn't say that. There's nothing written like that. So you have to think it through, and you have to realize, well, obviously this is an allowable exception, even though it's not written. It's an allowable exception because you can't have a burnt offering without there being fire. So the principle about exceptions is to think through and make decisions based on logical conclusions, on necessity. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.